0: You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Let's open our Bibles now. Let's study God's Word. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter. Please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We are in 1 Peter now. We just finished James. This book, 1 Peter, is right after the book of James. So go to James, then flip over to 1 Peter. And last week we finished James... Good study in James, I love the book of James, just a lot of application, and in that time, uh, James writing that book around 60 AD, the half-brother of Jesus, wouldn't that be weird to be the half-brother of the Messiah? It's just like, he's your bro, but he's your savior, and he's your creator. Just weird to think about that. But now we're in 1 Peter, and we're going to be studying First and Second Peter. This is Peter, one of the 12 disciples, of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you go see the Son of God movie, you'll see Peter. Um, he has a British accent, but I uh, don't think he would in this story, but uh, he was Jewish. But you uh, just, every time they kept saying, Pita, Pita, it's just, I thought of Peter from Narnia, and then I also thought of Pita from Hunger Games. Hey, he's a good looking guy, right? No, I'm kidding. That's right, Pita. But this is not the Pita we're talking about. This is Peter the Apostle. So look at the background of 1 Peter with me real quick. Just the background so you guys can get a feel for who this guy is, what's this all about, the context behind the theme of the book. But 1 Peter, the author is obviously the Apostle Peter, the disciple, one of the twelve of Jesus Christ. He was one of the twelve that Jesus asked to come follow him. He was a fisherman by trade. Uh, So, you know, the book of Acts called him an uneducated kind of... Nobody, although he writes 1 Peter, so he is somebody to the Lord, and he writes this to the church, to the Jewish believers. They say in the Bible, they call Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter was the, the apostle to the Jews, that he would preach to the Jews, and Paul was for the Gentiles, for us. And in this time, Paul, um, sorry, Peter is speaking roughly to the Jewish believers, but also to the Gentiles that are spread abroad, and uh, you know... The story of Peter is a great... Peter is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Next to Joseph in Genesis and Daniel. But Peter is one of my favorite characters in all the Bibles. Because Peter, um, you know, he, he, wasn't, he, was, he wasn't nobody. He, he was a fisherman by trade. In those days, fishermen, they didn't get paid that much. They, they were kind of looked at, at a, as like a lower class. And Jesus goes to him and, and asks him to follow me. And Peter puts down his nets and he goes and follows him. And after that, Peter would become one of the greatest evangelists, really, in all all time, and and especially in the book of Acts. You can read about Peter's life in the book of Acts, and there's a story in uh, Acts chapter 2, going into chapter 3. When Jesus had resurrected from the dead, and he lived on earth for another 40 days, and he ascended back into heaven, the church began. Jesus planted the church, and the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and ministered to them and spoke through them as they went to preach the gospel. As Jesus commanded. And it says in the Bible that Peter preached to many people. And at one time, you can read a sermon in, in Acts chapter 2 and, into 3, that Peter proclaimed the news of Jesus Christ. And it said 3,000 that day got saved. So Peter was, you know, a vocal mouthpiece for the gospel. And people were getting saved. But Peter, firsthand, was with Jesus a lot, of, a lot of us can't say that, you know, I was with Jesus through thick and thin, and, you know, I walked with him for three years during his ministry. Peter did. Peter lived that life through thick and thin. There was times where he denied Jesus, but he also, I think that just broke him. Because you know the story of when Jesus predicts, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, I'm not. I'm not going to deny you. I love you. I would die for you. And Jesus says, well, you will, when the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, as I'm going to be taken over and condemned to death. And sure enough, Jesus was right, as he is, and Peter denied him three times, was broken from it. I think that changed his whole life. That's why when he goes and writes First and Second Peter, and a lot of people get saved through his ministry, it's because of Jesus and how he had an impact on Peter's life. It's amazing. And you can see the date. The date was written about 64, 65 A.D. This is around 30 plus years after Jesus had already ascended back into heaven. So Peter's a little older. He's, he's close to dying because history tells us that he probably died in Rome. Um, and uh, history also tells us that the way of his death was. And Jesus kind of gives us a little hint when he's talking to Peter in, in the Gospel of John that Peter, church history tells us, was crucified as well as, as Jesus was, but he was crucified upside down. And church history also tells us that uh, supposedly his wife, Peter's wife, was crucified with him. This man went to death for Jesus. He lived the life. He counted the cost. And church history tells us he chose to be hung upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be on the cross because my Savior took my pain. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to be hanging on, uh, on the cross upside down, and he did, and he died that way. But before he does, he writes this epistle for us, First and Second Peter, to challenge us, because people in these days, the Christian believers, were under great persecution, unlike we understand. Those gladiator games that we love, the gladiator movie with Russell Crowe, good movie, but the Christians are the victims in that movie. They're killed for a show and tell. It's it's a game. And Christians are martyred for their faith. You can read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Countless examples of people who were persecuted for their faith, literally killed. And Peter is writing to them saying, look, we're going to be suffering as a Christian. But take heart that Jesus has you know, overcome this world. He's given us our spirit, his spirit, to indwell in us, to preach good news. And when we suffer as a Christian, do you give up or do you press forward in faith? And then to whom he is, as I said, he's writing to the Jewish and Gentile believers abroad under persecution. We're going to read about that. And the theme, really, of 1 Peter is Christian living in the face of suffering. And James kind of touched base on that a little bit. But Peter gets more in depth of suffering as a Christian. And the word suffer appears in Peter. He's talking about, look, when you live a life as a Christian, you may suffer sometimes in some way, shape, or form. In, these, in those days, it was death. Today, for us, it, it may be just, you know, suffering through this, this trial, this, this time of just trouble. You know, people making fun of me because I'm a Christian. How do I witness to that person? And it's great because First Peter also talks about, we'll read it down the road, of how he gives us a little key verse of how to share your faith and how people may look at you and say, how do, how do I have the hope that you can have? You, you're persecuted for faith, but how can I have what you have? You, you seem like you're filled with joy. What's different about you? And we'll talk about that later down the road. But this Peter was an awesome example of just living a life for Christ, counting the cost, making mistakes as a human, denying Jesus. I'm sure some of us have maybe someone put on the, on the, on the spot, and we probably say, I, I don't really go to church. No, I don't, I don't know who really Jesus is. If we have done that, there's There's forgiveness. You know, God doesn't want us to be ashamed of who he is and the gospel. And the writers of the New Testament talk about that. Don't be ashamed of who Jesus is. It's the power of Christ in you. Don't be ashamed of your father, your creator. People are going to hurl insults at you. What's new? That's nothing new. But when we count at all costs and we live a life through faith and suffering, we're going to be greatly rewarded by our, our Savior and our internal reward is, is heaven, the hope of heaven. And so for today, the outline of First Peter also, if you want to take note of this, and we'll be going through this through the duration of First Peter, but the, the first part, we'll talk about this today, is really salvation and the believer's identity. We're going to talk about our identity in Christ, the salvation part and our identity in who Jesus is. And number two, in 1 Peter chapter 2 through chapter 3 is submission and the believers' relationships, our relationship with other people, submitting to authority. We'll talk about that later down the road. And finally, suffering and the believers' service, service unto the Lord. And that, that word we hate, suffering. I hate, I hate suffering. We all hate it. I don't think anyone loves, like, yes, here comes the suffering. No, no, I don't think anyone really rejoices over that. But God calls us to. It's, 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 his economy is flipped. So how will we take, that's the challenge, how do we approach suffering? Do we run from it? Do we say, I can't do this, I can't do this Christian life? Or do we embrace it? And our result is spreading the gospel to other people and living a life of Christ. So for today, our believer, the believer's identity is our theme for today. And we'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll go in through verse 1 through verse 12. But for today's theme, I thought it'd be interesting um, to talk about the believer's identity. And I've entitled this theme... The Believer Identity Yeah, that's Matt Damon Yeah Uh, Born Trilogy Yay Anybody heard of it? Okay Yeah, it's a good movie If you haven't seen it Good trilogy The Born Identity The Believer Identity It's great, isn't it? Cheesy? Eh No, it's pretty good, I think I loved it I was just like, this is great I love the Bourne identity. Jason Bourne doesn't know who he is. He's on the run. He can still shoot a gun, but he's lost all memory. Oh, that's great. Him and Jack Bauer are like my two favorite characters. <laughs> really. And in this believer identity I've entitled, it, and we're going to read in First Peter, our identity is not found in anything else that the world tells us. It's not what social media tells us. It's not what Hollywood tells us. It's not what your girlfriend or boyfriend tells us. It's what Jesus and His Word tells us who we are. Our identity is found in Christ. And let's read along now in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Read along. I'm going to read all 12 verses, and then we'll study them, and, uh, and then we'll pray. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Read along. Verse 1. It says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So this is Peter, 1 of the 12 we just talked about. To God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen, underline that word, chosen, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Verse 3. Praise be to God our Father, praise be to the God of, and our Father of Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us, underline, underline that word, given, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith, here's that word faith, underline that, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. There's that word suffer. These have come so that your faith, you can underline the word these, we're going to come back to that. In verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with great care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointed, pointing and when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was real to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We, uh, we do thank you for everyone here. We pray that you would just uh, help us to search our hearts, our minds, so that we can learn something new. We thank you for your Holy Spirit to be here with us today. Go before us now. We give you all the glory, and we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this story now of, of First Peter, this, this first book he writes, we just notice in First Peter chapter 1, look at the first paragraph. That's between Peter and apostle, and then the grace and peace be to your abundance. It's sort of like a greeting. And Paul did this a lot in his, his letters. Who he's, who he's writing to, who, what the message he's trying to get across, and it's just sort of like a little subtitle greeting. And what he's saying is, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, and those other tribes, uh, Cities in that part of the, the time. That was in Asia Minor. It would have been modern Turkey for today. And he's preaching to them from Babylon. We just, actually, we, I don't know if I touched base on that, but from this part, the place where he's preaching from most likely is Babylon. We get that from the end of the book in First Peter. A lot of people think it may be like a the literal Babylon, a lot of people think it may be spiritual Babylon, speaking of another place. I believe that uh, I lean towards the literal Babylon, that Peter was actually in Babylon at that time and was writing this letter to the Jews that were in Babylon still and also to the ones that were scattered abroad in Asia Minor or still in Jerusalem. And so he's writing to these people. And he's, he very well could have been in Babylon. And, uh, and he's writing to those who have been strangers in the world, God's elect. And who have trusted in Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. So he's speaking to the believers. And he's going to talk about suffering. But before he talks about suffering, he's going to talk about two different things. About be, of, of inheritance in Jesus Christ and this hope that we have. But I had you underline the word chosen in that first part of chapter 1, verse 2. And our, title, our first title for today is, We are chosen by God and for God. Look at verse 2 again, when it says, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and the Father uh, of Jesus Christ. And so when we are chosen by God, God is using us for a select purpose. And look at these verses that I have up here. If you can read them, I don't know if it's clear enough. But John fifteen sixteen, Jesus says this. Jesus said this to his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. We didn't really come seeking after God. God kind of sought after us first. He chose us. Ephesians 1 verse 4, this is interesting. Paul writes this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. An example that I I can think of is the prophet Jeremiah. If you read in Jeremiah chapter 1, he's known as the weeping prophet. God calls him before he's even born. And he tells him, before you were born in the womb, I chose you. God chooses us in, in many ways, different ways. Sometimes he chooses people when they're already midway through life. And he called Moses to go free the slaves in, in Israel. Moses is around 80 years old. He's an old guy. He wasn't some good-looking 40-year-old from Prince of Egypt. He would have been dirty-looking, shepherd, 80-year-old, gross, Duck Dynasty beard. And he goes to lead Israel out of the Promised Land. And God chose Moses. He chose him from an earlier time, but at that time in Moses' life, God had him free the slaves. And in Jeremiah, like we said, God chose Jeremiah at an early time in his life. And Jeremiah would be a, would be a prophet the rest of his life. He had, he had a hard life, Jeremiah did. But Jeremiah, a righteous man, preaching the good news of God, uh, judging the nation of Israel, saying that this, this nation Babylon is going to come if you guys don't start getting on your knees and praying and throwing away these idols. My point is, though, that we are chosen by God. Each one of us are chosen for a specific purpose in life. And also the famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, sometimes that is taken out of context, but it, really, in reality, when you read Jeremiah 29, 11, it's that verse, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you and, and prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. And at that time, he's talking to the Israelites, but it also can be applied to us today that God chooses us for a specific purpose. He has a plan for us. He wants to give us hope for a better future. It's not going to be from some other person. It's not going to be from some president either. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us hope. And he has a plan for us. And a purpose. And he's chosen you and me. For a specific reason. Maybe you don't know what it is right now. Maybe he wants you to start seeking him first. Put all the distractions away. Because Jesus told us, John 15, 60, You didn't choose me, I chose you, to go and bear fruit. That fruit is not literal fruit, like an apple and an orange. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 6 talks about that. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. He wants us to go bear fruit, be a witness to who He is. He chose us for a specific reason. We have to find out what that is. We have to get on our knees and pray. Ask the Lord, what's your will for me? What's your plan for me? What have you chosen me to do? We are chosen to do good works. It breaks his heart when his own children start drifting away and doing something else, blowing their witness. He wants his children to stand firm in the faith and to do his work for him. We are chosen by God for God's purpose, what First Peter tells us. And now we can also look at the second one, the believer's identity. God has given us two things, and I'm going to have you underline them if you haven't already. God has given us, through Jesus Christ, that's in verse 3, number one, a new life, a living hope that Peter talks about, and number two, an eternal inheritance, otherwise known as salvation. Saved through this this trial, saved through sin and death, into an eternal inheritance, the hope of heaven. Read along with me again, verse 3. When Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts off with the praise. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord for what he's done in our life. Throughout any circumstance. He begins with a shout of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this. In his great mercy. This is God's mercy. God didn't have to do this. But since we ate of the fruit And sin came, separate us from a holy God. Now God's great mercy, he has sent his son to die for us, to choose us for a a greater cause. He doesn't have to. But God's great mercy, it says, he has given us. There's that word given. If you haven't underlined that, underline it again. He has given us. It's a gift. John 3.16. We love quoting that verse. Do we actually understand each verse? Point in that verse that Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. God is a giving God. He wants to give for us. It's in his great mercy. He doesn't have to. We don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it. But he wants to anyway. In his great mercy, he gives. God is a giving God. And it says that he has given us new birth into a living hope. Here's that new birth, that born again. If you haven't read John chapter 3, I recommend you reading the story of Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, one that had the law, knew the law, lived the law, knew everything about it. But Jesus always challenged the Pharisees and said, look, you guys keep the law all the time, but you guys are hypocrites yourself. The law can never save you. It is I who can save you. I fulfilled the law. That's why they crucified him too. They they said he, he preached blasphemy. It was heresy. But Jesus said, no, I've come to fulfill the law. I am who I am. That was a blasphemous title if someone said that because the Jews knew, no, that's only God who said I am. And you're claiming to be God, that's blasphemy. You're crucified. My point is when Jesus talks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, uh, you can't inherit eternal life unless you're born again. And Nicodemus, and An older man, a Pharisee, who knew the law, who knew the scriptures, said, wait a minute, how can you be born again? I can't enter my mother's womb a second time and be born again. How is that? That's impossible. And Jesus said, no, I'm not talking about physical birth, being born again. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Everyone is born of the water, which is physical birth. When you are born, the mother's water breaks. Spiritual birth is when you surrender your life and give it to the Lord, and he leads you through this life. You don't, you don't really drive in the driver's seat and have Jesus come whenever you feel like it. No, Jesus is your life, and he should be leading you. That's our spiritual birth. When we ask Jesus to come in our heart, forgive us of our sins, give us new life, that's the spiritual born-again birth. And Nicodemus was starting to understand it. It was starting to click. And Jesus said, you're a, you're a teacher, you're a Pharisee, and you know this stuff, and you're, you're asking these questions? Very interesting. And Peter knew this. Peter was always around Jesus. In those three years of ministry that that Jesus did with the disciples before he was crucified and resurrected back into heaven, Peter knew in and out Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He wanted to be like Jesus. He knew Jesus pretty well. And he says, God has given us new birth into a living hope. There's that word hope. Circle that word hope. We're going to find that this word hope a lot in 1 Peter. The word hope that Peter is trying to get across is well, the hope of what? The hope of what? That's all the people in that time could cling to was hope, hope in Jesus Christ. Because what they were going through was suffering unto the point of death. And Peter was saying, God, Jesus Christ has given you a new birth, a living hope. Not a hope that fades away, not a hope that is dead, but a hope that is alive. The hope of heaven, that one day we will be with Jesus forever and ever. That's the hope that we cling to. We cling to the hope of heaven, that Jesus has prepared a place for us, that this earth is not our home. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. We're basically just passing through this world we have to live by, you know, the world, what the world tells us. We have to live by what God tells us, too. We have to make our way through this journey called life. Our ultimate destination is in heaven. If this is your ultimate destination and you are satisfied with your life right now on this earth, you're, you're losing a lot. You're not living to what you could be living to. God gives us so much more than what the world gives us. I come up dissatisfied all the time. This world doesn't satisfy me. An iPhone may satisfy me for five minutes, but then I get mad when it freezes up. And I want a new iPhone. We're dissatisfied people. Nothing on this earth can satisfy our souls but Jesus Christ. Peter knew this. And that's number one. God has given us new life. And number two, God has given us an eternal inheritance, otherwise known as salvation, Salvation is basically God saving us from sin and death. When sin came and crept in the world, sin gave birth to death. Paul tells us. When Jesus and God, when God created the heavens and the earth, death was not really something that God was going to create. He didn't create the option of of, of really people living separated life from Jesus. God created paradise on earth. He created heaven on earth, really, with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve made a choice because God gives us choice. He loves us. If he didn't give us choice, he wouldn't be a loving God. He gave us choice. Adam and Eve sinned. Sin came into the world. Sin brought death. So what does God do? God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from death so that one day we can live with him in eternity. Does that mean we're going to have a perfect life here on earth? Everyone's going to be happy, happy, happy? No. Bless you. If your life is happy, happy, happy right now, just you wait. It's going to get pretty ugly, ugly, ugly. Just saying. There's some times where life hurts. There's sometimes when trouble comes. There's sometimes when life is good. But what Peter is trying to tell us right now is these two things that God has given us. Don't forget what these two things are. The faith that we have is key, though, and we're going to talk about this: new life into living hope and internal salvation. Again, look at verse two says. I'm sorry, verse 3, that he's given us the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. If you accept Jesus in your life, surrender your life, repent of your sin, you have become a child of God. You are now an inheritance of heaven. You've inherited the kingdom of God. He has given us heaven as a reward. And I love the hope that we have first is Jesus Christ rising from the dead. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, there would be no hope to live for. He wouldn't be Messiah also. Jesus is God. He rose from the dead. That's the hope we cling to when things go wrong. Because what do you guys cling to? Will you guys cling to relationships? Will you guys cling to technology? Will you guys cling to certain things you shouldn't be doing as a Christian? Because I'm, not, I'm going through trouble. I'm going through heartache. God wants us to cling to his word and the living hope of heaven, of Jesus Christ. Not to start clinging to something or someone that can satisfy us. Jesus Christ should be the ultimate satisfaction in our life. And last but not least, these two things have to come by one thing. And that one thing is faith. It is all about faith in Jesus Christ. The word faith appears three times in just these 12 verses alone of 1 Peter. Three times faith appears. Salvation also appears three times in these 12 verses. I think Peter is trying to get his case and point out. God has given us salvation, but we have to approach that salvation through faith. And keep reading along with me. Look what it says. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith... Now, first of all, these. What is these? These are what we just talked about. The first two. New life and an eternal inheritance. New life and eternal inheritance. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though through refined by fire. What he's saying is your faith is so much precious than anything else in this world. More precious than gold. He uses that, that, that illustration of gold. Your faith is more valuable than anything in this world. Because why? Your faith through Jesus Christ is what brings you salvation. And he says... These have come so that your faith, and it says, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus Christ is going to come again. What he's talking about here is the second coming of Jesus. Jesus has yet to come back. We are awaiting for his his return on this earth and establish his kingdom on earth, what he talked about in the Gospels when he was ministering. And Peter is saying, have your faith be ready. These things have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. James talked about faith. He talked about three kinds of faith. You can't have a dead faith. You can't have a faith in Jesus that, well, I believe what he says, but I'm not going to trust him with my life. Our faith has to be dynamic faith that we put our whole being in who Jesus is so that our faith, when we go through these testing and trials and suffering, that's our challenge for us today, how our faith is going to come on the other side. Is it going to be something where it starts to crumble and fade and we give up? Or is it going to be faith that's proved genuine that this faith is real and who I'm trusting to put in my faith in Jesus Christ is a real person who loves me and died for me? And James says this, and he says in verse 8, I love this. This is all about faith. And we'll finish up with this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, have not, though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's speaking about us. You and I, don't th- I don't think we've seen God. Just going to throw that out there. I've never seen God. I don't think you have either. Maybe you have, but maybe not. But he's talking about those who haven't seen him. We haven't seen God. And he's, he's, he's applauding us, yet you love him. Why do we come to church every day? Is it just because it's cool now? It's socially acceptable now and everyone's doing it? I hope we come to church because we love and believe our Father in Heaven and who He says He is because He first loved us and He chose us. We're coming to church to acknowledge who He is, to worship Him in song and then to worship Him through His Word. Though we have not seen Him, we love Him. Though we have not seen Him, we believe in Him. And we are filled with this joy that your friends who aren't Christians don't understand where you get this joy. It's time for us to stand up and start being a witness because God is trying to save every soul he can. He's being patient. He wants us to come to repentance. And we'll close with this real quick. Verse 9, it says this, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's up there on the screen. The goal of our faith is really the salvation of our souls. That's our ultimate goal in this life with faith, is to achieve salvation, to achieve heaven as our ultimate reward that God has given us. We're not living this life with a dead faith and just living life and there's no purpose. There is purpose. God has given it to us. He's given us a new life. He's given it, us an eternal inheritance when we ask Jesus into our life. And next week, we're going to talk about part two of the believer's identity and what characteristics God calls us to live by. We can't start living the two-faced world. We can't start living on the fence. We're going to talk about that next week. But for now, let's just praise God for being merciful and giving us new life, new hope that we can live by and the hope of heaven and that our faith may be proved genuine. It's our choice how we want to live with our faith. We may crumble or we may stand firm in our faith and live for who Jesus and who he says he is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the book of Peter. I, I do thank you for Peter the Apostle and how you ministered to him. You, the Holy Spirit spoke through him. To, so now that we can read what your Holy Spirit has to tell us. I pray that we would understand that our identity is not in anybody else or something that our identity is found in you because you created us, you formed us, you chose us before the creation of the world to do your purpose. I pray that those who struggle with their identity today, that those who don't really know who they are or why they're here, I pray that you would just minister to their hearts right now, that you would tell them that their identity is found in you alone. And all these things don't really matter. I pray that we would put you first. I thank you for giving us a living hope. We can live out our faith, and it can be proved genuine. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for saving us on the cross, dying for us. I pray that the least we can do is just live for you. You paid the price, so we didn't have to. We thank you, Lord. I pray that you go before us now. And I pray that you would never stop speaking to us everywhere we go. You would be here with us through it all, even through the suffering. We love you, Lord, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.